welcome to the Office 365 Developer Podcast, the only show focused on Office 365 development where Richard and I talk to the experts from all over the globe coding on the Office 365 Developer Platform. For more information on Office 365 development, please visit dev.office.com and follow us on the hashtag Office365Dev. Hey Rich, how's your week been? Good. I am in Texas for the first time in like it feels like months. Yeehaw! That's right, yeehaw! You say that every time you, you when you walk around, right? And you click your little cowboy boots. That's right. I click my cowboy boots when I got home from the uh, airport. I just went right to my horse and got on it. <laughs> first thing came right to the ranch. So yeah. So to the best thing ever this weekend, I experienced redneck country, but in Century Link Field, which is where the Seahawks play. I um. Got invited um, for a friend to go see a, uh, a, a a country music concert, and I misheard her when she said that uh, we were going to go and see Kenny Rogers. And uh, I bought some outdoor furniture this weekend to put together. I can't believe I spent that much money on furniture, and then it come in like eight thousand boxes and Chinese instructions and one Allen key. <laughs> but um, I had on Kenny Rogers all day, and I'm like, I really don't want to go to this concert because his music is bloody awful. And then she rang me, you know, like at lunchtime. Was like, you know, you re- you know, you're going to be around at five, and are you ready to see Kenny Chesney? I'm like, wait, what? Kenny Chesney? I've been listening to Kenny Rogers all day, trying to get in the mood. So Kenny Chesney's a little bit more pop rock country i guess yeah kenny rogers is more like you know the original country that's almost perfect that you went and saw that because you know we given who our guest is this week on the show it's it's almost like fitting that you went and right saw something a little bit hillbilly yeah it's um i mean every song seems to start with you know i was in a bar having a drink and i got in my pickup truck and i met a girl and we went to see a movie and then we got had drinks and then they fell in love and then they divorced and then she w- then he went back in the bar again. You missed the whole thing about their dog. Oh, yeah. The dog as well always comes up, doesn't it? That's right. It's an important component of a... And the gun. That's right. A successful country song must have. I think we should build a, a web app that just builds country songs based on names and a few sequences. I'm sure there's they're probably one already out there. <laughs> but anyway, it was quite an experience. 90,000 people in a stadium wearing cowboy hats and the girls wearing cowboy boots looking like Daisy Duke. It was, there's certainly a lot of people watching going on, that's for sure. So it looks like you had some good seats. I saw some pictures, so... Yeah, well, a few of my friends had... Um, they were in the sandbar right at the front, and then actually the friends we were hanging around with knew... Hold one. on a second. Hold on. There was a sandbar at a concert. Yeah, yeah. They had... There was like a thousand people all in on the sand, like right at the front of the... Um, where the act was, running up and down the stage. Okay. But my friends actually got backstage, so they were backstage. I didn't get invited because, I mean, to be honest, I was like, no... It, Take someone else. I'm really not going to care seeing Kenny Chesney. So they were all backstage with them drinking, which was pretty impressive. So it was a good, interesting weekend. Cool. How was yours? Yeah, just uh, like I said, was was home in Texas. So did some uh, honeydews for the wife and caught up on a little bit of work. So look at you working on the weekend. You have to stop that. Uh, I'd never get a day off. <laughs> Hang on. Now let me just get out my little country violin and, and feel sorry for you. That's right. I've I've just started a country music song talking about like never not working and <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to hear it on the next episode. All right. I'll sing it. <laughs> so um, the blogosphere, they've got a few links to go through this week after spending four minutes on country music. The Office 365 app launcher has got a new tile on it called the office 365 store unfortunately when we shipped it we shipped it with a bug if you view portal.office.com and log in 
you'll see the app launcher and you'll click on the Office 365 store tile and it will jump to the store, no problem. But if you're in a SharePoint site or if you're in Outlook Online or any of the other tiles areas, you'll actually get a 404 or a blank page because outlook.office365.com slash store doesn't resolve and nor does Jeremy's awesome tenant.sharepoint.com slash store. So, um, yep, that bug fix is going to be out done by um, the time you listen to the show, but just shows you that we're still learning on our release cycles and um, naturally Twitter blew up and there were lots of questions coming through to the support people. And so, yeah, but the intention is all good. It will give very high exposure in the app launcher to the store. And so people that are building apps and pushing them to the store now will have a lot broader um, kind of discoverability within our user base and not just to office add-ins and sharepoint add-ins but also to uh office 365 web applications that can live inside the my apps page and be pinned to the app launcher so i'm really excited that we've got a bunch of isvs already in there in that state where they've added azure ad authentication so have you had much of a play with that yet rich yeah a little bit i mean this is obviously from in my organization within microsoft is a big, big focus for the next year is, you know, we've had a lot of momentum around kind of the traditional add-ins, but the the whole concept of connecting into the APIs and maybe having one of those kind of standalone applications, a standalone web application that um, I might want to, uh, you know, expose out and make discoverable through the store. Uh, that's that's big business for us right now. We really want to make sure that, you know, that provides a good experience for you know, ISVs. And so, um, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting to kind of see some of that start to come to fruition. That's cool. And then um, the other link we had on there, which is semi-Azure related, is uh, the Azure Logic Apps team that uh, we kind of announced a few months ago now, I guess. They've started a, a video blog on, um, on YouTube and they had their first video out four days ago. We're recording on Monday. Um, and uh, they've had 300 and something views on there. They did live using Google Hangouts, actually. And they're talking about kind of how you can daisy chain these different events together to almost form like a business process flow through. And I think this is an area that you're going to see with kind of Azure, Office 365 and Logic Apps kind of tying together as a, a really easy way to kind of string these business processes together. And there's lots of different integration points in there. Have you had much of a play with Logic Apps yet, Rich? Actually, quite a bit. In fact, I did a build session that um, had a Logic Apps component. We actually, we built a Logic App to push data from like as as people modified SharePoint list, uh, we'd actually get evented by that and end up sticking records into a Power BI data model, uh, which is really cool, right? Taking it all the way through to reporting. Oh, right. um, and to me, it's just incredibly powerful. It's almost like, like WYSIWYG, like codeless. I see it more from like a job standpoint where I might want to do something that has kind of some things triggered and then I might want to run a, a couple of different kind of components off of that. Yeah. But but super, you know, zero code. Um, there are lots of different connectors already out there. Or you can make your own, right? If if there's something that's not in the that's not an API app, you can certainly build your own. So super powerful, and and um, you know a lot of the things for Office 365 are already there. Yeah, like SharePoint's there, right? SharePoint, we have we have um, Exchange um, triggers that are there, um, Yammer triggers. So there's lots of things that that are that are out there already. Yeah, that's awesome. And so where can they find your stuff on the on? Was that the re- most recent build? Because I'll make sure in the show notes we add that. 
that link? Yeah, um, the most recent build, it was actually me and Doreen Brown uh, did a session at Build that was basically um, the, the brainchild behind this or the, the thought behind this was, you know, a lot of the Office 365 developers are starting to, or, or sh traditional SharePoint developers are starting to kind of dip their feet into development with Azure. So a lot of, most people that I talk to, they understand the concept of an Azure website, maybe a SQL Azure database. But some of these more powerful workloads that can do amazing things. I mean, I think anyone that's done things like a mo uh, remote event receivers um, and, and debugged those with a service bus have said, whoa, that service bus, it, that's pretty amazing. It, it called localhost on my, on my machine. So that's, one, that's just one example of the things that are in Azure. And so me and Doreen did a session at this latest build, build um, uh, 2015 in, in San Francisco, where we basically took and said, let's, let's look at kind of some, some Azure components that really lend themselves well to Office 365. And so Logic Apps was one of those. Um, and so we did all kinds of things. We did some uh, web jobs that used some of the new Azure AD application-only permissions. We used event hubs. We did all these cool things, but Logic Apps were a component of that. Okay, I'll have to check that one out. I still haven't got around to sitting through those build sessions. I had all good fortune to watch them on the plane to California for SP TechCon last week and then just ended up reading a book instead, <laughs> which is always the way. You like you download them all and take it, it takes a while and then you never actually get around to consuming them. The other one there, uh, Chris O'Brien, who we seem to be mentioning weekly on the show and we really need to get him. You missed him in London, man. You had the opportunity to interview him and didn't. Shame on you. It was between like pulling him aside with a microphone or go and grabbing a beer with the guy. And I thought the latter sounded better at the time. I'm sorry. Okay, I forgive you. That, that's that's exactly what I would have done too. Although I'd have probably turned the microphone on like last week's podcast. <laughs> so um, he put together a post on June 17th that we didn't mention in last week's show, but around implementing Active Directory integration with 0365 using subdomains so that you can do like dev test type approaches to things. So having kind of different domains to isolate your users and then using custom subdomains so that you can have different login flows. So it's obvious what, from one tenant who you're logging into with various things. And he actually walks you through screenshot by screenshot how to configure those things um, as, as those subdomains and adding the, the MX records for mail and um, a bunch of other bits and pieces as well. So it's pretty cool that he's gone to that level of detail and it's obviously something that he's doing in his own work with what he's doing in his team. So I'm looking forward to that series. This is like part two of four based on his list. So I'm kind of really interested in seeing how he's like splicing up that one tenant for different environments purposes. Yeah, he's definitely starting to become a, a thought leader in that ALM space for Office 365. I mean, some of the stuff that he's doing here around, you know, even kind of thinking through the, the directory sync components, you know, as it relates to subdomains and things like that, I think are uh, pretty progressive and something that a lot of customers are asking for. Yeah. And then uh, we had Chris Wagner, uh, an MVP at Tahoe Partners, um, and he's been doing a ton of stuff down in Chicago, I believe. Yeah, he's Chicago. Yep. Yeah. And um, he's been doing some stuff around kind of the, the dev camp content and building around um, Android uh Android and JavaScript uh, 
kind of building our apps and stuff. So it's been interesting to see that some some of the content he's putting together there. And so it just want to give him a shout out because he does do a lot of work for the community and we haven't mentioned him before. And I noticed on SlideShare he'd been kind of pushing out updates to slides that we've kind of produced and yeah, revving on those. That's cool. Yeah, this is a cool one. You know, um, actually, I'm going to spring something on here, Jeremy. I, I, what I'd love to see is, is like some like as as we have like great posts around this, where Chris has kind of walked through, you know, some of the developer story around Android. I'd love to see our community start to maybe build some things. Um, that kind of focus on that. So I know kind of two of the big platforms that we really want to see people build on is Android and iOS. So I'll, I'll put my money where my mouth is, is um, I, we'll have to come up with the constraints around this. So maybe in the next few weeks we can announce this, but maybe do like, um, you know, uh, some sort of maybe app contest and the winner maybe gets an Android device or gets an iOS device. I think that'd be a really cool way to um, maybe incentivize our audience to see if they'll you know get hands-on and maybe build something cool for one of these platforms yeah we've got um I, actually the hackathon that we just announced for the european sharepoint conference in stockholm in november and i'm actually going to run hackathons at the dev intersections too in person but i know we're working on a virtual hackathon um where this would be a really good idea to kind of leverage um, how, how we do the prizes around that and get some ideas. So I kind of look forward to like the mass scale hackathons we do virtually as well as the in-person ones because the ng-conf one, we did the pod show on that last year and um, it was really exciting to see what normal Angular developers built with very little training on Office 365 APIs or Office add-ins. So again, this is like extending it further just to mobile dev stuff too. Like I know the email peak, the one that uh, our internal content publishing team have built, I actually use that all the time when I'm like at conferences because it just shows me my red bang email, emails from certain select people um, and certain conversations that I've flagged and everything else, it just doesn't show me. So it kind of eliminates the noise a little bit, which is great when you you just want to make sure that you've not missed anything really, really urgent without jumping into your inbox and then getting caught in email hell for 10 minutes on your iPhone when you should be like at the conference speaking to people. And that's all open source, so you can go and check that one out. And then, okay, Waldeck has got his Inconvenient series that he's been running for a few years now. And this one's around Inconvenient Adel, which is the Azure Active Directory um, authentication libraries for JavaScript, specifically around Angular with simultaneous cause requests. Now, I'm on an internal email thread here with a bunch of engineers around this, and He's been like kind of showing some good coding practices to handle kind of simultaneous requests there. So if you're doing anything with Angular cores and our APIs, I'd definitely recommend having a, a, a squeeze through that that thread there. And I love the fact that he's using the um, illustrations that we we pumped at build with the, the lines and the office graph on there like that. So that's pretty cool that he's using our branding there too. Yeah. And then Todd Beginsky, who has been presenting a bunch for us at different events, including build has put out a hilarious video and maybe you should just explain this one because I'm still kind of dumbfounded that he's got time to do it. Yeah, so um, one of the, in the office area, one of the really popular ways that we communicate to the public is through, uh, we have a really popular video blog series. Um, it used to be called the Garage Series and it recently was renamed Office Mechanics, but um, both Jeremy and I have been hosts on that at, or, or I guess guests on that at, at various times. And um, I guess uh, Todd saw one of the 
shows that you did last year. I think it was at TechEd in Houston about a year ago, but it was, you know, some of the stuff to holds true. You were showing about some of the new add-in model around, you know, being able to build Compose apps at the time in mail. And uh, he he built a a pretty funny uh, little spoof on it where he took a a couple of frames that you where you were presenting and kind of put his own um, wording and spin on that. So uh, you should you guys should check it out. It's a pretty funny uh, spoof on Jeremy. It is quite funny. I I've been renowned for my facial expressions where YouTube captures the most awkward looking bloody picture of me for a video cutout, uh, and also for my hand waving ability when I'm discussing things and he's just nailed it with this video cut so it's definitely worth checking that one out for sure and then uh, so yeah thanks for that teabag I'll, I'll get you back at some point and then uh, blogs.office.com office for android is here gtm um which we i guess we don't really use that word anymore but ga generally available it's not in preview anymore word for android excel for android powerpoint for android they're apps available in the google play store yes i did say apps but the add-in support for those products, the engineering team are targeting for the end of the year. So if you built an add-in for Word, it would work now across, well, by the end of the year, it'll work across Windows Desktop, it'll work across the online version, the iPad version, and eventually the Android version by the end of the year. So it's pretty exciting. I don't have an Android device, but a bunch of people here have them, and um, it looks and feels like an Android kind of client, and uh, it's pretty deep on functionality, much like the iPad one is. So I'm really hoping that our ecosystem that's building and extending that will take advantage of it. It's cool to see these and see how, you know, our uh, some of our vision around things like the new add-in commands, um, how those would fit in in some of these other clients, right? Because that's a commitment to uh, from us is that we want to make sure that if you were to build some sort of add-in that uses something like a command, that um, that that's going to kind of follow through on all these clients, right? And that's I, I think a big reason why we didn't call them things like ribbon commands because you know here on the the Android device it's not necessarily that way. So, uh, but those should still be able to target all those once we um, light up add-ins in these new apps. Yeah, and I think, you know, the, the scenarios are going to get really exciting as people start realizing that, you know, people are going to be in those tools a lot um, and be able to hook into that experience is really powerful for so many scenarios, not just for ISVs, but for kind of enterprises as well. So I'm kind of, I'm looking forward to seeing the usage of that grow. Like I know we had 100 million downloads of kind of iPad uh, when we announced that number at Build. And I'm sure that the Android thing's going to grow now that it's, directly available in the Google Play Store as well. So that's exciting news. Yep. And then last two, the work we do in patterns and practices, we've had a bunch of article, guidance articles that have been written up in GitHub as markdown pages. And slowly but surely, we end up publishing these directly on msdn.microsoft.com. So, you know, you guys who are listening had the ability to go into uh, GitHub and make those changes. And then over over time, we do a monthly kind of swipe through and we, if there's any recommendations there, we'll actually take them on and actually adjust those and publish those up into the MSDN content that matches it. So um, we've been doing a great job there. And the one uh, that's come up just recently is the create remote timer jobs in SharePoint. And so you can see that there's a bunch of kind of detailed content there on how to do timer jobs and how you can get the SharePoint context from that timer job running in Azure, um, which would, you know, obviously replace what we used to do on-premises with SharePoint timer jobs. So if you haven't checked out those solution guidance pages in MSDN, um, jump on the link on the show notes and um, check that out. 
And then lastly, I was at SP TechCon last week. And, and so the show today is with Mark Rackley, who does a lot of client-side development. Um, but another very strong client-side developer is Mark Anderson, who I will get on the show. Um, we were very busy last week. I got four shows recorded, but I really wanted this fifth one with Mark Anderson being get round to it. So we're going to give him a bit of a hat tip on the fact that he did some really good presentations last week in California. Uh, one on moving from the SOAP APIs to the RESTful API and how you know, you've got to do it at some point. And so here's how you can transition. And then he did one on building SharePoint solutions with Knockout.js. And when he uses the word solution, he doesn't mean full trust solution or sandbox solution. He's just talking about a business solution because he's much more of a, uh, a SharePoint designer stroke, you know, directly in the web UI uploading into the libraries where you can drop JavaScript and, and HTML into, which is a really good segue into this week's show with Mark. Um, I hope you enjoy it. We'll, um, we're going to do a few more of these ones where we, we take feedback around the fact that it isn't just about hardcore Visual Studio developers and that there is still a, a strong developer community that are in this kind of client-side development space. And I'd love any feedback or discussion on this on the Yammer group that we have in the Office 365 Technical Network. So um, I don't know if you've got a chance to have a look through that content, Rich, but um, you know, I know we're well entrenched in Visual Studio, but what are your thoughts on, on this stuff? I mean, it's um, in some ways, it might be even more common than the kind of traditional Visual Studio developers. I mean, that's kind of, you know, um, SharePoint designer in a lot of ways promoted kind of that uh, approach of things, of getting someone that was kind of dangerous on the developer front, if you will, or dangerous enough to know the kind of inner workings to be able to kind of put together these business solutions. And so I think it's it's cool to to have a, a, a strong community around this. But I think what's, what's even better is we if we can bring that kind of developer governance around it so that it's it's not something becomes hard to manage or... Um, a maintenance nightmare for a, a customer. So I think there's, you know, things that we can certainly, you know, learn from, you know, the community that's able to build these business solutions, but developers certainly can bring a lot to that table as well. So it's a good synergy. Yeah, no, and the show's great. And it, it's a good candid discussion between the two of us. And, um, you know, I, I want to kind of encourage that more like we did a bit with Eric Shups, I guess. And it is Shups, it's not Shoops. I confirmed with him last week. Okay. So for a change, I'm pronouncing someone's name correctly did you guys talk about bacon with rackley no we avoided the bacon topic actually because we were eating plenty of it while we were there in california <laughs> <laughs> so um thanks for taking time i know you're um it's in your evening there so i appreciate you jumping on before you end up closing your day and um we'll speak soon awesome okay so we're here in sunny california at sp techcom dev days uh here with mark rackley so welcome to the show mate thank you good to be it's here the first time we've had you on i know and, um, obviously you're kind of heavily involved in the sharepoint community for a long time for those that haven't heard of you um, who hasn't heard of me exactly right <laughs> i mean everyone in the show knows who mark rackley is how would they know of you what have you um and i'll fill in the gaps so my blog uh started out as sharepointhillbilly.com right because i'm from arkansas so i'm a hillbilly and yeah uh, and i have a few solutions that people seem to really use a lot that came from my blog so like i've got a blog post like one of the first blog posts i did was how to do like a an automatic parent-child relationship with a list in sharepoint and I think that's still one of my most read blogs that people like to read about and they ask me questions about. I've also got some solutions that are like plug and plays and a lot of jQuery stuff. Yeah. So like ones for a tab web, putting web parts and tabs and yeah. Office 365. So I know a lot of people use that stuff and find my blog that way. And also I uh, have a form solution I'm working on that uh, was called Form 7. We've recently renamed it to Stratus Forms. So yeah. I know 
people know me from that as well. Cool. And that for my charm and good looks and just that. And then on Twitter and socials? Yeah, I'm Im Rackley on Twitter, you know, I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, use Mark Rackley. Usual stuff. If you search for Mark Rackley, you find a shark videographer and me. <laughs> yeah, so. that other poor guy, right? Right, right. Something you like bumping down because of traffic. <laughs> I'm trying to. It's amazing how like the old blog posts seem to last forever. I've got some that I, I've migrated off of SharePoint Windows, SharePoint services a while ago to WordPress and I found my SEO is a lot better on WordPress. But it's amazing how some of the original posts that I did from like the 2005, six days, still get a serious amount of hits. Oh yeah, it's insane. And um, it just shows you that long tail of people that are still working with government departments where they're running SharePoint 2007 and they're not even using full trust code. They're just, you know, doing rough things in SharePoint Designer and directly in the web browser adding web parts and stuff. Yeah. And, and I think that's really where you're, the niche or niche, depending where you're on the world, is, is where you're at. Like I'd classify you from a development perspective on our platform as the same kind of a classification as say Mark Anderson in the sense that, you know, typically you've not done Visual Studio solutions, you're very much SharePoint designer, uh, client-side development is what Mark or I mean he had this whole other terminology for it, but kind of client-side development where you're deploying JavaScript files to a, a SharePoint site collection and, and adding the references to either existing master pages or tweaking page layouts or injecting the JavaScript directly in the page using content editor or script editor web parts, right? That's kind of the approach that you've taken. Well, and, and, and to be fair, well, I started out in 2007, and I'm a historically a .NET developer, right? Right. I, I, you know, I've written my fair share of timer jobs, event receivers, and, you know, and I really love those full, those full trust solutions. So yeah. I've got that ability. But as a consultant, uh, whenever you go to get functionality to market in SharePoint, um, I do find that doing the client side development and getting things with JavaScript and jQuery, you can get things to market a lot faster and give the clients a better usable experience in yeah. SharePoint. And a lot of your posts are, well not, I guess it's generalizing, but a lot of them are about improving or enhancing the user experience of existing pages as well, right? So right. there's a bunch of stuff you've done that will take a new or an edit form in a SharePoint list or library and make some kind of interaction changes to that by adding JavaScript into those pages and, or um, what other ones have you done which I've used? Definitely the, um, the tabular aspect you've done well, which I've used before in the past as well. But a lot of it deployment model wise was, you know, manually putting it into those those libraries, which, you know, over having something that's packaged that can be automatically deployed, it can be can be tough, I guess. Yeah, it's it is for uh, well because of the, the upfront work to do that, right? Because yeah. a lot of the times it's there there is upfront deployment work to make sure that you can do something that's repeatable and deployable and Using the methods I do, especially, I have a ton of small, medium cl uh, clients, small, medium businesses that are for our, for our clients, and they don't have these enterprise budgets. Yeah. Right. So when I present them with, hey, I can go down the uh, traditional math, traditional path of creating the solution for you, and we'll create some deployable packages. It's going to add this X amount of time to the process, or I can do it this way. Yeah. You don't need to deploy it over 30 sites. You've got one site that this is for. Mm -hmm. Uh, and they're not going to spend the money to go through and do the full deployment process. What, what do you use in that scenario um, before we get into the main topic for today around like source control of that? Like compared to like FTC because you're in Visual Studio, kind of encourages you to check in your code to either TFS or a GitHub repo or some Git repository somewhere. But what do you traditionally do? 
because you're kind of either you're working live in production with that stuff when you're typically editing it, right? Yeah, it depends on the project and the number of developers, right? Yeah. If it's if it's a small enough project and it's just me, I mean, as bad as it sounds, if you've got uh, versioning turned on a document library and your little scripts are living there, yeah, you've, yeah. Got, you've got really good source code control right there for small projects. Right. I mean, TFS is overkill for something like that. Yeah, and then you just check out the file, so as you're developing, other people aren't impacted by the change until you publish the file change. Exactly, Yeah. absolutely. Okay. Uh, and then you can easily roll back to your other versions as you need to, and, and it's, I, you know, again, for small projects, I find that's great. For the yeah. bigger projects where you have multiple people, you need to you know, look at something like GitHub or, or TFS or yeah. something like that. And in that environment, do you work in different SharePoint team sites and then check in your code and then deploy it to a centralized place? Like, how do you work in a team when you're working at that scale? Yeah, typically um, you will have your own you'll have your own environment that you use, right? You'll have maybe it's your own site if you're in Office 365. Um, yeah. And that's just where you work and you integrate your stuff into a common library that everybody else is putting their stuff into so you're not yeah. stepping on each other. Uh, but the great thing is about it is, you know, if you... It's so easy to roll back changes in that deployment method. So you, you, you don't have all those deployment headaches of things breaking. Uh, oh, if you screw something up, you just have to roll back to the previous version of the file in the document library and everything's right. back the way it was. So with that in mind, like some of the things I think of when I've seen these approaches in larger enterprises is kind of the dependencies. So if I'm tweaking a JavaScript file, how you know what dependencies that particular solution you deploy to the team site is reliant on, like whether it's other JavaScript files, whether it's images or CSS files that it relies on. How in practice have you kind of tried to ring fence, like if I've got a few of those projects you've done over the time in one team site, how you ring fence those artifacts together as one, like what are some of the practices you've done there? So, and, and this is one of the one of the big hurdles for like enterprise uh, level deployments of the stuff I do because you've yeah. got to take into account all these different dependencies. Yeah. Uh, again, I live by the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid, right? Yeah. Just keep it simple. So a great way to do that is just to make sure that you put, you have governance in place, that, that G word, yeah. where you have a common uh, library where all your scripts go. Yeah. Right? And so. Uh, you go to that library to see what other scripts are being used. Mm -hmm. You see what other third-party libraries are being used. You see what version they're on. And that's kind of like your, what's what you should be using, right? Yeah. If you've got something else you want to use that uses the same sort of functionality from a third-party library, you've got to justify that. Right, adding like yet another framework into your, where you're dropping them all. Right, right. So you can't just go and drop whatever you want there. In there, you've got to have some sort of governance so that people aren't going too crazy. And when you're leveraging other frameworks, do you typically use uh, CDN references or will you drop a specific version of that framework like jQuery or Knockout directly into the libraries within the team sites? So uh, typically, and what, what I kind of promote is if you're on premises, I don't do CDN. Yeah. Because if your internet goes down, your, yeah. your site's down. If yeah. you're in Office 365, I use CDN if it exists. Yeah. In fact, I've even used uh, Cloudflare to set up my own CDN for my own stuff. Okay. So that way I can reference some HTTPS and and for free. But do, when you do the CDNs, do you target particular versions or are you just always on the latest? Like what's your kind of philosophy there from a JavaScript side? That's a good question. Typically, if it's a brand new deployment, yeah. I, I will go for the latest. Yeah. Right. If it's if there's legacy jQuery in there though, I don't try I, I will not throw in a new version of jQuery because yeah, yeah, yeah. you're just opening yourself up to all sorts of headaches. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And so like this leads into, you know, so that's definitely a way of deploying it. And we don't really have a term for that internally that we when we talk about that kind of audience of developers. I mean client-side developers is probably one way to put it. Um, a lot of our engineers will call that power users, you know, where they're essentially that, you know, they own the SharePoint team side and, and they're making these changes. But I think even power users is, is probably 
underestimating what you can do. Like the word power, I guess, is a powerful word, but it doesn't really explain that they are real developers. Right, exactly. It's not, you know, you're not a power user, you're deving, like you're writing JavaScript code, you're writing CSS code, you have to have an understanding of the page model of SharePoint, the, the div names and what's going on in the page to know what you can interact with and override and the risks of doing so right. to get the experience you want. You need to know REST, right? Because right. you can make all the REST calls and stuff. So yeah. And CSOM. And, 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 you, and you will need to know either calling the REST or using the CSOM JavaScript APIs to call in and interact with SharePoint in that way. So, you know, it, it, it's a definitely a development approach, but it's very different from me using Visual Studio having C-sharp managed code, and like you said, deploying remote event receivers, um, you know, timer jobs, and all the, the various different web parts that you can build all in, in that managed code. So the client-side developer is kind of the way I kind of tag that, that type of audience. But, you know, for us in, in CJ's team is, you know, how do we cater for that audience moving forward with the advances that we've made in the, the add-in model you know what we've got in the existing FTC model inside Visual Studio, but I guess more more relative now is that you know where we had SharePoint development as Visual Studio developers and client side developers. Now we've got the whole world of web developers that we can go after, and it's becoming more attractive as we go to these audiences, whether it's the Angular JS crowd, the Ruby crowd, or the Python crowd, or Node.js crowd, to go and show them how they can customize Office 365. And I think the reason I want to get in the show really is to talk through you know openly about you know. Ideally, our best experience is if we can get people building add-ins and using Visual Studio to deploy them or using a, a tool like Visual Studio Code, which can be deployed to any platform, which is more targeted to web developers, where we give maybe some little add-ons that allow you to package a SharePoint add-in using that tool set. Or maybe even if they're using their own IDEs, how we instruct them to create that add-in package for SharePoint. Um, or it's a lot easier for Office add-ins because it's just an XML manifest file that you have to use rather than SharePoint adding being like a, a zip that gets zipped up. And, and so is that hurdle of that decision point for you when you're going, you know, well, it's just easy for me to jump in and add a file, JavaScript file into a team site compared to me jumping into Visual Studio and using the tooling to create that file. Like what, what's the hurdle that you see when you're working with customers on that? Is it is it just the ID that hurts you there or? Well, I mean, one of the biggest hurdles is we don't, all of our customers aren't on Office 365 or SharePoint 2013, yeah. right? We still have those 2010 and 2007 customers out there, so it's just not an option, yeah. right? That's and, valid, yeah. And we can still create that functionality in 2007, and it will work in 2010, and it will work in 2013, and it will work in Office 365, so right. you get to reuse what's there. Yeah. Um, so that's a really big draw of it. And I guess uh, when it comes down to it, if I want to stick some web parts into a tabbed view, I upload a file to a document library, I add a web part to that web page with all the web parts, and I reference that script. Yeah. And that's all I do, and I'm done, and I can go on with my business, right? I don't have to do anything else. Yeah. And that's simple, and it gives a visual, and it's, it's nothing complicated, but it gives the user something visual that they really like. If we can figure out how to do that simply, I mean, I. I I understand what Microsoft is trying to do, what they are doing, and, yeah. I, and I see the tooling getting better. And one of the reasons you know I wanted to, to, to do this is because you know I, I realize that I need to be more involved in the world. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to find a way that I can justify 
the time spending to do to, it would take to do that. Yep. And how can we make it as easy as possible? Right, right, right. Because I've I've gone and I've downloaded all the patterns and practices stuff. I've compiled them, gotten to run. I've tried to understand OAuth. Yeah. Right. And it's just like. I, I just want to get my job done. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, CJ in his keynote this morning was talking about change and, you know, like, if you think about um, the different scenarios of where we've gone and, and, and how, like, he's the example of a, a phone, right? You know, we've all had cell phones where you had the dials on the front and the flip phones and StarTax, and now everyone's got smartphones where it's just a big flat slate screen that you use as touch. And that evolution of change is very similar. Like we're not going to sit still as Microsoft and keep the user interface exactly the same for these experiences because the rest of the modern world of services is evolving as well. And so in some cases, it's meaning that we need to change our development model to be able to keep up with that level of change that Salesforce and Google and Box and Dropbox and all the other productivity platforms that are out there are doing. But I think you're right. The one of the things we have done to try and reach into this normal web development world is, you know, while a standard web developer, and funnily enough, the Angular U conference is literally in the same building today. If I went and showed them about RESTful APIs, they'd be able to call them straight away. Like they wouldn't have web. that hurdle of, oh, I've not, I don't understand what OAuth is, and I don't understand how to take that JSON response and, and manipulate it. And it's because we've all been stuck in this SharePoint world where we've never had that luxury of using OAuth and, and, and using JSON. Like we've had these kooky SharePoint APIs that are very nuanced. Like if I went over to Angular, you guys, and showed them the CSOM JavaScript framework and explained like, oh, but if you call it this way, you're gonna get a response like this, but if you call it that way, you're gonna get a response like that, and you'll get this error, oh, don't worry, just ignore that error and, and just get that data anyway. And it's just the world we've, we've lived in, and I think as a, a SharePoint developer, I've been there, you know, I've done managed code, SharePoint development FTC, I've done the JavaScript approach in SharePoint Designer. I stuck to my bad habits. I lived in the world of knowing the server-side API in managed code in C-sharp and never pushed myself to learn CSOM for the longest time. And, and SPC 09, you know, the, the key MVPs are up on stage with the engineers telling people, learn CSOM, because they knew that there was this big push to move to the client side away from server. And I purposely didn't because I was comfortable where, where I was at first. And also I wasn't very comfortable with JavaScript. I think now with this OAuth approach, it's just something that if you want to be a web developer and, and stay relevant in the next five years, you really do need to learn how to do an OAuth call and, and call a RESTful API and understand what that JSON format is and be able to manipulate that whether you're using AngularJS or whatever framework you want to use. And so maybe you know we need to work on some foundational content that will help kind of specifically for that audience, help them move over and understand that world a bit better. Well, I mean, for instance, well, what I do like, I love the REST services, right? I use them yeah. all the time in, in what I do as well. Yeah. And scripts on them. And I have to worry about OAuth. Right. Authorization, well, SharePoint takes care of it for me. Right, because you're using the, the ACS auth that's in the context of the page already. Exactly. Because so, you've got the client context in exactly. JavaScript. Yeah. And, and that's fantastic, right? Yeah. I can just, so I can take advantage of all the rest of uh, web services and without worry about all Right, that. The, the Azure Active Directory, yeah. creating an application and getting a client ID and a secret. Right. And, yeah. I'm, I'm getting my job done. I'm not yeah. worried about that stuff. So I, I think if we could take, and, and this has actually been a, a goal of mine, if I can ever find the time, is to take one of my solutions, like maybe my tab web part solution. Yeah. Turn it into an add-in. Right, right? And just see how easy it is see to how do easy that it is. deployment. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got 
you're going to have your host web and your app web, right? Yeah. And you've got to somehow get the app web to inject the script into your host web on the pages that you need. Yeah. And allow people to configure it so it only puts the web parts in where they want. And, you know, it's just like, what's the best way to start that? What's the best way to do that? Right. And that brings up an interesting thing, too. I see that audience, so the client-side developers, you know, the way they've been successful is because they their canvas is just SharePoint. Yeah. It's the SharePoint pages and the rendering model. Whereas, you know, typically if you're a Visual Studio guy in C Sharp, you've already got access to Azure websites where you can deploy to, or you've got the ability to drop a website on an IIS server on-prem. Whereas typically that audience that just doing client-side development, they get given the keys to a site collection and SharePoint designer and they're good to go, but they won't necessarily have the access to IIS to run a website or um, Azure to run a website. So going that, that comparison is, you know, well, I see the C-sharp Visual Studio guys using provider-hosted add-ins more than I see them using SharePoint-hosted add-ins. Whereas I'm assuming if you were going to start with this and you know crack your knuckles, you would probably try and start with SharePoint-hosted and stay all JavaScript, right? Right. And I've done some SharePoint-hosted apps before, um, right. and using Angular just to, to do it. Yeah. And um, you know, it's 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 not hard. Yeah. It's a lot of work though. Yeah. Because um, it's because you you lose. One of my favorite things about SharePoint. I like SharePoint, right? Yeah. I mean, SharePoint does so much for you, right? With your authentication, with your lists and your metadata and your forms and everything that creates for you out of the box. Yeah. You can create most business applications and get 85% of the way there using just out-of-the-box SharePoint. Right. I don't have to create anything else. And you're not going outside of SharePoint and creating databases because you've got lists and libraries exactly. or uh, running websites because the page model is directly inside SharePoint. Exactly. So yeah. you take this 85% application you build an out-of-the-box SharePoint and then you layer in script yeah. in that and you've made it usable you've added business logic you're calling web services you're turning it into a full-blown application yeah a lot faster mm -hmm. right and so that's that's the world I live in and, and what's one of the kickers for me as a consultant is I can build that 85% application for a client yeah. and have that to them in a week or less. Yeah, because you can prototype really quickly. And, and they can start using it. Yeah. And then I can layer in the client-side stuff behind the scenes while they use it yeah. and increase their usability and I can give them exactly what they want for an application. And that was always a danger when I was a consultant in Australia was you could build things real quick and you show the business. You like, great, can we have that in by Friday? And you're like, well, I've built this in my environment and it's actually not that easy to grab all those files and then move them into pre-production and then again move into stage and then move into uh, production once they're ready to go and then start working on v2 of it and then do that whole ALM process again they just assume well isn't there just a button you push to push it through and right. unfortunately there isn't so having the automation by having the add-in package do that for you would be a benefit for that absolutely. type of audience right absolutely we'll and we just yes. need to get better at you know how we do how we can help for your that particular audience to understand how you can package these artifacts up quickly and then later use the add-in package to, to do that deployment. Yeah, I need to better understand how I can let SharePoint does what SharePoint does really well mm -hmm. and use the add-in model to enhance it. And, and, and I don't want to build a Angular application, right? right? I just need to automate the, yeah. uh, the add-ins, enhance what SharePoint's doing. Right, right. right. And so you want to manipulate the existing user interface rather than kind of where we've encouraged provider-hosted apps is like when you launch the app from site contents, it's its own entirety of page. Yeah, and I don't want to do that. Yeah, you want to enhance the existing Absolutely. Existing SharePoint bits. does a lot of things well. Let it do those things yeah. and enhance it for the users. Now, there is an element of risk, and we, we've talked about it in the show a few times, but of doing that, because obviously we've 
UI updates and I know I've seen your blog posts and the comments in the forums around uh, moving the cheese like renaming divs for instance or attributes within the divs yep. that you guys are targeting to be able to do some of those enhancements and I guess that's just the nature of the risk of doing that and trying to enhance our UI over building a standalone user interface and then just using SharePoint as almost like building blocks over the top. And so one of the things that we're working on and the show that was on last week, that we actually recorded it yesterday, but it'll come out on Thursday, was around this notion of UI fabric. So our engineering teams are gonna start using these UI fabric. And it's very similar to like Material by Google or Bootstrap where our products will actually use these same controls. So whenever you see a date picker or you see a list view, we'll actually use it from this open sourced UI fabric um, kit. And what that means is if you're on a standalone page in a provider hosted uh, view, you can use those same controls and then wire them up to the building blocks of SharePoint, whether it's a list or a library, and obviously get that kind of that leverage there. But there's obviously always going to be scenarios where you're going to want to enhance an edit form, for instance, inside a SharePoint list and library, and you don't want to build that from the ground up right. in your provider hosted page. And I guess it's just understanding that risk of, well, if you really, really, really want to have special validation on your form fills that you can't do out of the box of SharePoint, and you're going to hook into a JavaScript event somehow, injecting the script reference in a content editor web part or however else you're doing it, um, that there are going to be risks as we push out updates to those user user interfaces. Yeah, absolutely. And for the most part, you guys have gotten a lot better about that, right? And, and we're more aware of yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, the, the big one was definitely that display name attribute on the divs where the, the cried the, the field changed yeah. and it, it really broke a lot of JavaScript development that was hooking into those things as well. Yeah. And so, you know, going back to the kind of the packaging and, and how that could help automate that, I know from my experience, you know, it was really quick to go and add three web parts to a page and then upload a JavaScript file using SharePoint Design or even using the web browser and just uploading it to a library. Right. Whereas in Visual Studio, like unless you know your way around Visual Studio to know how to create a, a file and, and get that going or the code that's required to inject a web part into a page based on the web part code living in that add-in package within Visual Studio. And I know that, for instance, the patterns and practices stuff has been very heavily leaning towards the provider-hosted approach to doing this. So I'm wondering whether um, it would be useful if we provided uh, almost like the SharePoint-hosted client-side way of doing those things to help you guys. Uh, do you think that would help in that sense? Oh, absolutely, right? Anything that we can use that we don't have to go and build from scratch is gonna help. Yeah. It helps understand it and help us move forward, absolutely. The, you know, the other thing is, with the way I do things, which there's nothing you can do about this, you know, I don't need Visual Studio. I need right. Notepad. Yeah. Right? And there are a lot of those. And the downside to what I do is there's a lot of those power users and just plain end users who copy my scripts, stick them on their page, and start using it. Right. Them. And it doesn't need to have that ID to help right. move it away. Right. And so they can use it. So that's great. Yeah. But then you've got these people who don't know what they're doing right, right. using the scripts. And then yeah. they're breaking and like, oh, after you threw this three scripts on the page and the page isn't working, help me. Yeah, and yeah. Like, well, you don't know what you're yeah. doing. And so like maybe on your blog post, being able to provide an add-in package that they just deploy into the site and it, and it does it on an automated way would be more useful. But then I guess the thing then is, is they want to modify it they've then got to work out how to modify the add-in package to then be able to redeploy it. Right. Which, you know, best case is they're going to download Visual Studio, which, you know, is a big overhead for a lot of people. And the community edition works for, you know, open source or companies under a certain 
number of people. But Visual Studio Code is maybe an option because that's totally three. It doesn't have all the bells and whistles of Visual Studio 2013 or 2015, but we, we could maybe work out a way there that um, if, if people are interested from a community perspective in working out a nice little XE that took the Visual Studio Code folder and and ran a script almost like what WSP Builder used to do or you know back in the very early days before the Visual Studio integration the makecab.exe stuff did right, right? right yeah. where you'd run that and it would kind of produce you your package without necessarily needing Visual Studio so we could look into that as a way to help that kind of audience too so um, you know I, I think what we should do is um, maybe create uh, a Yammer group inside the Office 365 technical network and maybe get these ideas down and get some discussion going with okay. other people that listen to the show. And then obviously you can encourage the, your audience that follow you on your blog to maybe come and listen to the podcast and we can start that discussion and see where we go with this. Okay. Because I think it would definitely help. And what I'd like to do is, you know, maybe in three months time, once you've kind of got your claws into this a bit more is like talk about the learning that you've done around this. Because you've said you've, you've dug into the patterns and practices. What, what did you find was... I mean, there's a lot of samples in there, so we are aware that it's sometimes it's hard to look through the, the trees there to what you actually need. But what was the main trouble you had in kind of grokking it and trying to get going on it? I guess the, the probably the big problem I had was it's okay, I got this to build and now I have a button in the ribbon. Yeah. What do I do next? Right, right, right. right? It's kind of like, yeah, I got it to compile and work, but, but what do I do next with it? And, and, yeah. and a lot of that, as a consultant, it's going to be finding the right project that I can apply it to so I can really force myself to do it. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe doing something like this where you basically challenge me to, to yeah. learn this. And now, okay, that'll help me get into it as well. But I mean, maybe if there was some way that they were a little more succinct blocks yep. that we could, I want this piece of, I want to add a, a button to a ribbon. I want to inject a script on a page. Yep. I want to do this. Or you can easily pull those pieces together yeah. uh, into a project and get going on it. Because, I mean, they are isolated projects and they are that succinct in terms of what they do. But my experience with it has been that in some of the samples, it's hard to know what in the sample is doing, exactly. doing what. Like right. you don't, sometimes it's hard to know, well, where's this page that, where's the actual code that's actually injecting the ribbon in? And some of them have really good readme files in the markdown of the folder, um, and we, we need to definitely get better about that. But I think the bigger one that we keep hearing, which we're right now just doing, and hopefully it will be in the, uh, when you go to dev.office.com slash patterns and practices, or PNP you can put in too, and you go to like the samples at the top there. Right now, we have the list of all the samples on the site, but we don't categorize them very well, and the searches are very good. Uh, and the, the page is slow because we don't have paging in there, so they're doing all that right now. So you'll be able to like type in the search, you know, ribbon, and it will come and list those things out. Whereas if you go just directly to our GitHub repo, it's really hard to actually go and use GitHub to find what yeah, you I need. Yeah, that too. Yeah. Um, so we're hoping that that discoverability aspects on dev.office.com helps there with finding the right sample and we actually crawl in the readme into the dev.office.com page so what we're hoping with that is is that the Google and Bing crawlers will index that too so if you went on Google and we're trying to search for how do I add to the ribbon using the add-in model it would actually come up uh, and you know show that dev.office.com page because for whatever reason Google and Bing don't do a great job of indexing our github content uh, directly either so, 
I, I just had a random idea pop into my head. I yep. do those sometimes. What would be very helpful to me, and then I do we're talking ideal world here. Yeah. If I could go to the patterns practices site, get an empty add-in project. Yeah. And say, okay, I want to get the code to add a button to the ribbon, and I'm going to throw it in that project. Mm -hmm. Right. So maybe the so it's almost like snippets. Right. That I can throw in there because that will help me understand. Oh, this is the piece of the code. Right. That handles the button, and this is the other stuff. In so for some of them, what we've actually done is we have hands-on labs that will assume a blank Visual Studio project and will give you the snippets in the readme file that you have to put into your own project to get it working. So rather than having the completed project that you just F5 and click the button, it does whatever it needs to do, the hands-on lab will actually walk you through how we built that completed project so you can understand what snippets went where in the project to do that. Um, I guess the next step forward would be that we, we provide you, and again, this would only be Visual Studio, but there's a notion of Visual Studio snippets that you do Control-K, Control-C, and it'll list you the snippets you can basically inject into a file. That might be something we do. We could snippetize all those samples and make it really easy to have those like quick things for adding to the ribbon or a quick thing that you see some to add a wiki page into the ribbon. The other thing that we're doing, which you might not be aware of, is we have this core library. So for SharePoint add-ins, for Office add-ins, for um, SaaS applications that live in the app launcher, we have a core uh, repo as well as a samples repo. And in the core repo, where we found like out of the 100 samples we have for SharePoint, there was a common C-sharp function that we had. Um, we would actually move that out of the sample and put that in the core library. And then the sample would just reference that DLL from the core project. and But again, that's only in managed code. So maybe what we need to look at is maybe having a core JavaScript set of libraries that are common across all these client-side samples that we build that we could then use as well. And then you could just kind of grab that core JavaScript library and use it in your project and then add the JavaScript snippets into your page and be away. So maybe that yeah, would help that'd too. Yeah, that would be great, yeah. Well, so what we'll do is we'll write all this down. Maybe we can get together after and, and, and blog this and create a new group in Yammer and get this discussion going with people that are interested. And um, Mark Anderson's here this week who's you know been a huge advocate with SP Services, which is, again, super popular across 2007, 2010, yeah. 2013. And um, I know he's already talking to Bill Baer about this support across 2016 as well. So it'd be good to kind of get you and Mark Anderson and, and whoever else. Who else would you think of in this world that does just does this stuff? Well, I mean, it's it's. I think of me and Mark first. Um, if anyone's interested, jump on the Shammer group we'll create and the Office 365 technical network. And um, we'll keep this discussion going. I know the engineers are really interested in making sure that this we, we bring this audience with us and we don't just leave them in the dark. You know, obviously we've already announced that SharePoint Designer uh, will not be getting an, a new version when we when we ship SharePoint 2016. SharePoint Designer 2013 will actually indeed work with SharePoint Server 2016, but we're not improving the product at all, which I know a lot of people have seen as, as, as some kind of limitation there. And there are some other things that we'll be able to talk about in our next major moment, which will be around the October-November frame around some of that stuff. That initially, we were going to talk about this build, and actually, to be honest, some of them we were even meant to be talking about at TechEd Europe in October, which was our moment before build this year, that I'm really hoping we can talk about in our next major moment too. But I think for now, this would be a good thing to get going with um, the community and, and spinning this stuff up to help that audience. Yeah, absolutely. Again, it's just getting 
allowing us to get our jobs done faster, yep. right? And uh, I'm not against add-ins at all. It's just I'm yep. pro doing things as quickly as possible. Right, right, right. So we just need to fill, like, kind of narrow that gap, I guess, in terms of that resistance and friction that we have right now and trying to reduce it. Right. Cool. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time, mate. Yeah, thanks for hey, having um, me. What are you um, speaking on this week? What are your topics? So uh, I'm actually doing the general session on Friday about uh, my development method, you know, okay. using JavaScript and jQuery to do things in SharePoint. Yep. And the title of it's uh, Get More Done Faster. Yep. So again, that's kind of my my thing, right? right. I, I want to get more done. I want to get done faster. Yep. So, and, and I have another jQuery session I'm doing later on as well. So do you share your slide decks and samples on your blog and if people want to go and check this stuff out? I did. If you go to slideshare.net slash mrackley, yep. most of my slide decks are up there. Cool. So yeah, check Excellent. that out. Well, I got a lot of code on my blog too, so you can get it at sharepointhillbilly.com or markrackley.net. So either one of those places. We'll go straight there. Yep. And then at M. Rackley for Twitter. Okay. M. Rackley on Twitter, yep. Cool. Well, um, thanks, mate. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll definitely get you on the show in a few months, and we'll hopefully have some solid stuff we can talk about on improving this stuff too. Yeah, that'd be great. Cool. All right. Thanks, mate. Thanks. Thanks for listening, guys and girls. Make sure you check out dev.office.com for all of our other podcasts and all of our amazing resources. You can also check here for more information on our developer program where you can get a one-year, three developer tenant to stop building against the Office 365 platform. We're always here to chat with you on the Office 365 technical network on aka.ms slash office365devpodcastyam. Or you can follow us on Office Dev on both Twitter and Facebook. So until next week, guys, get coding. Get coding.